Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. Me staying broke is not helping other broke people. My mom staying broke didn't help her relieve more suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think in my brain, I had this idea that as long as I'm broke, I couldn't possibly be causing harm. And what I've come to realize is there are ways to have money and to spend money and interact with money that can be aligned with my values. Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question, how can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast. Today's guest uh, is Felicia Keller Boyle. She's also known as the bad therapist. Uh, as we chat about at the beginning of our conversation, I find her name so evocative, this name of the bad therapist, because I think that it immediately you know, provokes what it's supposed to provoke, which is that as therapists, we are trained to be good. Today, we get into talking about our good therapist conditioning, to clarify, different from being a clinically excellent therapist or a professional therapist, but good therapist conditioning in the sense of like, basically the extension of good girl conditioning, right? About being small, not asking for much, getting by, you know, as she mentions, not enforcing our cancellation policies. These can all be bound up in this conditioning that we get around being good. And today, Felicia and I get into how that conditioning that we get impacts our relationship with money, uh, our financial lives, uh, the work that we do, and what we can do to start to untangle ourselves from that good therapist conditioning and start to actually be able to build a strong, positive relationship with money, uh, be able to earn the money that we need to earn, all of those good things that we know, that I hope you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, <laughs> that we know money can bring into our lives. Uh, here's my conversation with Felicia Keller-Boyle. Alicia, welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks, Lindsay. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So what we're going to be digging into today, I feel like is is such a part of like your your brand and your ethos. And I I love, <laughs> I love, first of all, the name of your business. Thank you. Uh, the Bad Therapist. Because you know what I notice in me, Felicia, is it immediately activates all my good girl parts. Yeah, that's Which the is intention. Great. It's very provocative. That, that's the whole point. You know, <laughs> I figured based on what I promote and what I encourage therapists to do, like the most common um, like insult or criticism yes. that gets lobbed against what I do and what you know my students do is that we're bad therapists. And so I'm like, fine, let's lean into it. Yes. Because being a good therapist, and I don't mean like being a clinically sound right. skilled therapist, but yes. being like a quote like the quote unquote good, good therapist is someone who typically doesn't have boundaries, has a theoretical cancellation policy, but wouldn't dare to enforce no, it because not. that would be so mean and so wrong yes. and wouldn't have high fees because of course that's, we don't get into this for the money. Yes. We work multiple jobs in order yes. to afford being therapists. So anyway, I see being a bad therapist as like the antidote to what's very typical for therapists once we come through our training, essentially mm. like indoctrination, mm. <laughs> indoctrination into like the good therapist conditioning sure. world. Yes. Yes. Like this good therapist conditioning. So I'm hearing like partially it, it, like we're getting it through our training. We are conditioned to be good 100%. therapists. And I'm putting good therapists in quotations. Because as you say, yeah. it's, we're not talking about being a quality therapist therapist of like you exactly. know, clinical excellence. We're talking about being like, it's more the good girl or good person. That's exactly um, right. I'm curious, like, do you think it's also a, a pre-existing condition for oh, folks in the field hell, or does it really? Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. I mean, okay. I say this to my friends. I say this to my students. Sometimes we'll just be in a room together, like a bunch of therapists and we're like, we're crazy, right? Like who does this? Like who <laughs> makes this decision? There's so many different jobs out here. Sure. And we all decided to do this. Mm -hmm. That's a wacky decision. I mean, God bless us. You know, someone's got to do it yes. and we're clearly Definitely. the best people for the job. Mm -hmm. They do think that good therapist conditioning usually doesn't just start in our training. It usually starts early on in our lives. I know that like the groundwork for being a good therapist, like you were saying, started out as being a very good girl in so many different ways. You know, I was the oldest child in a single parent home. Yes. I was raised in the church. Yes. Um, there were all, I, I grew up without a lot of money and very resentful of people who had money, very mm -hmm. fearful of money mm -hmm. and just uh, ignorant also, like how to work with it. So there's lots of fear, lots of ignorance around money. So I very much was like, before I ever even decided I was going to be a therapist, I was already very much um, affected by like good girl conditioning. And mm -hmm. so then when I decided to be a therapist, all of those inclinations and habits basically got reinforced. Yeah. By my training. Yes. With, you know, being called like being client centered, <laughs> you know, it's like being right. client centered. We get AKA, new language for it. Yeah. Right. AKA no boundaries. <laughs> and I don't think that that's what client centered actually means, obviously, mm -hmm. but I think there's a, a way that we'll confuse what it means to actually do really high quality work with our clients as therapists mm -hmm. and treating ourselves well. You know, like we tend to see those two things as like mutually exclusive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this, you know, good therapist conditioning, how do you see this impacting therapist relationships with money and like the financial side of the work that we do? 
Yeah, I mean, it impacts it in a huge way. I mean, one of the things that's true for, I would say, most, if not all therapists, is that we spend a, a lot of our time in our early days of our training not getting paid for labor. Yeah. So that in and of itself creates a pattern where we undervalue our labor because mm-hmm. it, it has been undervalued. Becoming a therapist is a really expensive career path. You know, our trainings are not cheap. Many of us, by the time when we're done with our trainings, have at least 100K in student debt, sometimes multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt. And then we're expected culturally and by many of our elders in the field to earn nowhere near an amount of money that would Mm -hmm. actually, I don't know, afford us a comfortable life, let alone begin to pay back that debt. So good therapist conditioning is something that's like reinforced all throughout our trainings. And yeah, one aspect of it, like I said, is, is that not valuing our labor. And then the other thing is feeling intense fear of pricing people out of therapy. Yes. yes. When it comes to our fees. Yeah. And just getting really stuck right there. Like it's, right. that's kind of where our brains tend to short out. We think about mm-hmm. raising our fees, then we imagine some people can't afford it. And it's almost like our, our minds short circuit in that moment. And that's the end. <laughs> that's, the that's the end of like the, the question, the curiosity. Yeah. And we, we don't have the support we need to start actually to get creative about how to approach solving for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like with, you know, with the folks that you've looked at or you've worked with, or like generally with your observations about this, like, what does this actually end up meaning for therapists' financial lives when we're caught up in oh this like God. good therapist training? I mean, it's, there's a huge range, obviously. Some of it's like pretty, pretty devastating. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard from so many therapists who are actually quite early on in their training, some of them, you know, just in their first traineeship, some of them still getting their hours and they're already like wanting to leave the field. Yeah. Right. They're already burnt out because they're overworking and being underpaid. And when they're underpaid, they don't have money to leverage to resource themselves in other ways. Right. Right. If they were if they were working a lot and getting paid well, at least they would have the money to maybe, I don't know, well, just want not be stressed about money, which sure as hell yes. would be really nice. That helps, yep. And maybe do some other nice things for themselves. Maybe mm-hmm. they would take themselves on a vacation. Maybe mm-hmm. they would have a gym membership because mm-hmm. it feels good to them to move their bodies. Right. Get help around um, the home. Help around the home. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Pay other yeah. people well for their labor yes. to do things in their lives. But yeah, it it causes huge strange. And then you'll have people, so you'll have those people who sometimes like tap out super early on. And then you'll have the other people who will go their entire careers under earning. Yeah. And and they will have long, long careers as therapists and social workers and psychologists and whatever, um, but they'll spend their entire life under earning. One thing that was really impactful for me in deciding to really examine my relationship with money and not just my relationship, but also begin to educate myself about money and finance, because like I said earlier, I was incredibly ignorant, was thinking about my mom who has run her own business my entire life. She was a house cleaner when I was a little kid. And then when I was in junior high, she became a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. So I've watched her be self-employed her entire life. And what I'm seeing now in her you know, 60s is that her retirement plan is like, practically non-existent. Yes. And as a yes. as a child of hers, 
that's right. really scary, yes. you know? And so I, you know, saw that and I was like, okay, I'm going to go through the trouble of running a business. I have so many resources that my mom didn't have. My mom, God bless her, did did her very best with what mm-hmm. she had. Yeah. And because of some of the things she did, how hard she worked, I have a lot more resources than she did at the time. So I'm going to use that to my advantage. I don't want to end up in that position. It's something that because of how I was raised, if I don't do something about this, if I don't actively engage with this process, if I just continue to exist with my defaults, that is exactly where I would end up at her age. Yeah. Because that's everything I've learned how to do. So I don't want that to be my future. I have to be actively engaged in my decisions right now. So that was a huge kind of awareness for me once I completed my hours and I got licensed and I was setting up my business and I was really thinking about what does it mean to run a business. I was seeing how she ran hers and realizing, okay, that's not, that's not the outcome I want. Yes. I'm going to put all this effort in. I want a different outcome. Right. Yes. I feel like your your story read a thought that was in the back of my mind as I'm thinking about, you know, these impacts is like retirement. It's like you can limp along for your working life because you can always like see a couple more clients, right? Like money's coming in and money is probably coming in enough that you can like cover rent or bills and like, I don't know, maybe like go out for coffee with your friends a little bit. Like you can make life livable while you're actively earning. But once we hit retirement, it's like, if we didn't have that extra, if we weren't planning ahead enough to put money aside, that little flow that you had stops. And then I think the real impact is felt, which like I'm Folks listening, I'm not trying to stress you out. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, this is it, kind of like the 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 black and white reality that can happen when we under-earn for our whole careers. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the what you were just saying about like we can limp along, we can get by. And I think therapists are very much trained and conditioned to really just want to get by for yes. that to be yes. as much as we hope for, because there's so much suffering out in the world. Yes. Why should we want to have a good life? Like, okay, like mentally balanced. Sure. Yeah. We want that. We feel entitled to that. But sure. like a lavish life, mm-hmm. uh, an abundant life, a super well-resourced life, as many mm-hmm. vacations as we want to take life. No, 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 no. There's far too much suffering in the world yeah. for me to be concerned with having that much joy and pleasure and freedom in my life. That would be that would be really bad. It's not fair. Yes. And I yes. think that's, for me, that that was like a huge, huge part of like what I had to undo that sense of like, it's not fair. Because I got to tell you, as a little kid growing up without money, I was pissed. I was like, it, it is not fair. Mm-hmm. It is really not fair mm-hmm. that my mom's scrubbing toilets while this family is out on vacation. Right. Like that's how it felt. Yes. That's how yes. it felt as a little kid. And I think I carried that into adulthood and wanted to stay allied with my younger self because I didn't want to become the people who were out on vacation yeah. while someone else was scrubbing a toilet. I didn't yes. want to make that change. Yeah. What, what I've realized is that like me staying broke is not helping other broke people. No. My mom staying broke didn't help her no. relieve more suffering Mm-mm. of other broke people. And I think in my brain, I had this idea that as long as I'm broke, I couldn't possibly be causing harm. Right. And what I've come to realize is 
there are ways to have money and to spend money and interact with money that can be aligned with my values. And just because, you know, five years ago, I had no idea what that looked like, didn't mean it wasn't worth trying to learn what that could look like. I think so many people at the start of examining their relationship with money and wanting to heal it is they kind of have this sense of, okay, okay, maybe I'll make more money, but you've got to promise me that at the end of it, I'm still going to be a good person. If you give me like the five things I have to do if I have more money so that I can be a good person, okay, then fine, I'll do that. And because that's what I would have really loved is for someone to just give me a blueprint to be like, okay, here's how you make more money and this is how you be a good person. But like that's... That's like the same trap. Yes, it is. <laughs> like this, yes. the whole thing is. Yeah. And so the biggest thing that I teach the people I work with, the therapists I work with, is to educate themselves about money and finance and to be looking for ways to engage with money that does align with their values. For some, for every single person, that's going to be different. For some mm-hmm. people, it's going to be volunteering some of their time. Now that they are working less and they have more money, the way that they want to like give, the way that they want to feed back into their communities is they're going to want to volunteer time. Some mm-hmm. people are going to want to make financial donations. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to have family members who have been living in poverty yes. and they're going to actually be taking the money they're earning it and giving yeah. it to their family members. Yeah. Some, you know what I mean? Some people are going to be like, I've spent the last 30 years working in an agency, busting my ass. I'm so fucking tired. I'm going to spend any extra money I have on vacations and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm, you right. know what I mean? Like, you, like there are, they've done their billion, time. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like for every single person, yeah. there's going to be a unique way for them mm. to feel good yes. with the money they're earning. And so I would never tell somebody, well, the way to be good with money is you just donate yes. X amount of money to causes and then you're good. Done. Well, yeah. And like, Something that I'm hearing um, there, Felicia, like, is the use of two different uses of the word good, right? There's like what feels good, and then there's trying to be good. And those oh, are different really things. Great point. Right. So there's like what feels good, and like what I'm hearing, you know, is there's going to be a range of what, what we're even talking about there, like what kind of feel good you want to feel. Like, do you want to feel joyful? Do you want to feel energized? Do you want to feel connected? Do you want to feel generous? Like, what do you want to feel? But then if we want to be good, we're still in that same trap of like being small, following the rules, you know, like it's still the good girl guys, but slightly modified. Um, but yeah. we're still really trapping ourselves within some sort of like moral framework that may or may not actually be our own beliefs and morals. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great distinction. The difference between being good versus feeling good. Mm-hmm. And again, I think for a lot of us, it's it's really funny because you would think as therapists that we would all be proponents of getting to feel good. You know, like that we would be like of course we want we want to feel we want our we tell other to people feel to good. do. <laughs> but yes. like I think when it comes down to it we actually put a lot of limitations on what that actually means. Absolutely. Like you can feel good but only if it's with something that's wholesome. Yes. <laughs> only yes. with only if it's something that you've worked really, really hard to earn and then, and then you can feel good with it. But if it's too Mm -hmm. easy to get, then you don't really deserve to feel good. Have you done your homework? Okay. Then you get to feel good. Have you, have you been exhausted working with, you know, 35 clients this week? Okay. Then you get to feel good. There's all of this kind of the word, I haven't coined the best term for it yet, but I almost call it like a trauma competition. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Where it's like, I feel like yes. there's this, this thing that I notice in myself and that I'll notice amongst therapists talking to each other where I almost feel like I have to justify the good things in my mm. life by like reminding myself and other people with all the things I've gone through. Yes. But the problem is that it's almost like we could never go through enough pain to justify feeling good because there's always going to be someone who's got it worse. So we're always like, I don't deserve this Yeah, because someone else has had more pain. So who am I to get to feel good? Who am I to enjoy money? Who am I to break the mold of good therapist conditioning and decide that rather than having a bunch of low fees, I'm going to take the money, you know, the quote unquote extra money I earn and use that to fund my parents' retirement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yes. what if I'm just like, yeah, I'm not having lower fees because I want to do that. Yeah. What if that's the reason? Or yes. also what if I don't even have to give a reason? What if I don't have to justify it? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's like perhaps even more radical mm-hmm. to just decide, well, I get to have this because I decide I get to have this period. Absolutely. And like something, you know, I think about, I also think about like, you know, goodness and, and containness and something that I think about with goodness is good is small, right? It's like, you're, you're allowed to have a little bit of good because you have done the right things. You've been controlled, you've been contained, you've been orderly, you followed the mm. rules, and therefore you get this little bit of reward. Whereas something that I have thought about a lot in the last couple of years and really tried to work on personally is like just taking up space because you're alive. Yeah. You get to just be hungry because you're a human and food is good, right? Like you get to just like mm. go on a lovely walk because you're a human who's alive. And like, what is better than having a beautiful sensory experience and like experiencing your aliveness, right? And just no conditions being tied to it. I think that I love that. I wonder if those conditions are still like it's it's still those little tendrils of be good, be small, follow rules. You know, mm-hmm. like ask for, ask for forgiveness, give apologies. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's all of that conditioning and it's, it's kind of insidious, right? Like it can slip in when that's been our conditioning, so it can easy. slip in in all these ways, even when we've worked so hard to try to claim space and try to do it differently. Yeah. I mean, this is a process that never really ends. Yeah. Right. It's like, we're constantly unpeeling these layers and something that came to mind as you were just speaking was the experience of being a woman and what it means for a woman to feel good for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know, what what it is for like a woman to feel good in her body, to feel good in her experiences. There's something as you were talking that almost there's like a danger to that. Yes. There's a danger yes. to like a woman who is unapologetically enjoying herself. Mm-hmm. Just like there's a danger yes. to how that's been targeted. Yes. It also comes to mind like folks of other like oppressed identities. Mm-hmm. People in positions of power do not like to see people they're oppressing having the audacity yes. to just enjoy themselves. Right. Yes. And there's so many examples of this. I don't even yeah. need to say that. Like we can I'm sure anyone listening can think of at least one example in their own life and probably one that's been in the news over the last few years. Like mm-hmm. This idea of people just enjoying themselves mm-hmm. is so radical. I think it's really radical for anybody with an oppressed identity. Identity. I think it's really radical for therapists where that is something that is weirdly paid lip service to in mm. our field, but like totally, we get like the complete opposite messaging in terms of right. like what yes. we're actually supposed to be doing yes. and what we're actually supposed to be feeling. It's like, enjoy yourselves. 
but also totally don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like at all. And also I think it can be like, enjoy yourself because that's part of being a good therapist. Like you have to have a good life. Not only do you need to like (laughs) sacrifice yourself for your, you know, your, your clients, but also you need to be living a good life. So you're like truly a good therapist and you're aligned. It's just like another way that you can be bad and failing. Yeah. This makes me think of a, so early on in my career, before I went to grad school, right after undergrad, I got a job in a methadone clinic, Mm -hmm. which is nuts because I was like 22 and had no training, but that's what we do with our most underserved populations. We give the least experience the newbies being paid the least amount of money Mm -hmm. to work with them. But I was very earnest and um, I found mentors in different places and I borrowed a textbook from one of them, like one of their grad school textbooks. And Mm -hmm. as I was, the thing, like the one thing that I remember from that textbook was being a therapist is a lifestyle. Even when you're not working, like you're not seeing clients, you are a therapist. Like every moment of every day, you are a therapist and your whole life needs to like contribute to that. It needs to like when you go to bed, what you eat, like all of the things need to as if as if you're like a living in a monastery and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, I do think that is true. I think like our whole lives need to all the elements of our life. We benefit when all of those things really do work together and sure. every aspect supports. So like sure. sure. But I like took that crazy literally. Yeah. And I, you know, because again, I didn't I was so young. I was so eager. I really, really wanted to do a good job. And I was like, great. Okay. So that's what I do. So like everything I do is like uh, my whole life is actually about this. And I think that that's an extreme version of what we're taught. But I think that is kind of what we're taught that like our whole, when when you become a therapist, like you are a therapist, you basically just joined a convent. Like you're a nun, you're a monk. Like everything is about this. And mm-hmm. if you do anything, anything that's like for you, then you're stepping out of line. And the other thing about like that idea of like everything you do is about this because our work is like in service of other people, it, you know, by extension becomes everything you do is about your clients. Yes. Everything you do is for your clients. Yeah. And that's a big fucking problem. For sure. Yes, absolutely. And like, as you're saying that I was, first of all, <laughs> that infuriates me. Personal. Yeah, me too. I'm just like, <laughs> I like it. even the idea that like being therapist is a lifestyle. I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. And part of me is like, that's the part of me responding that I think bought into that when I was yep. also younger and, and starting out in practice. But it makes me think about two stories, neither of which are about somebody being particularly daring or bad, but just about how constrained our lives can become when we think like that. One is one of my supervisors when I was a student talking about going to a party and one of her clients was at the party. Mm-hmm. And leaving, like leaving the party. And she was like, it happens sometimes. It's awkward. I just kind of said, you know, my hellos and I left, you know? And so it's like, like, you're not even allowed to like be out in the world and exist because you might complicate this like one therapeutic relationship. But then the opposite of that is I had a therapist who I worked with for several years doing EMDR and she was a lot, she was not a good girl and she was Mm. not a good therapist. And for me, as a good therapist who was like very contained and my office was always perfect, like she had this flower petal stuck to the wall of her living room for a fucking year. For a year, I was like, what's on your wall? And she's like, oh, it's a flower petal. There was a bouquet there and it like stuck to the wall. She never cleaned it for the whole year. It made the good therapist and me insane because I was like, this <laughs> How is dare she? Space. How dare you show so little care to the space in which like you do your client work. But she was just kind of like a lot more just relaxed and alive. And she told me about 
talking about this this conversation of balancing living in a small town, running into clients. She said that she had had clients before express interest in joining the church that she was part of, this Unitarian congregation. And she told them, you're welcome to come. I go there. I will not have a conversation with you. That's where I live my life. So I will say hi, but I'm going to just like be myself there. That is my space and like kind of claiming her space. Um, And she said, almost inevitably, the person would not end up joining the congregation because part of it, unconsciously on some level, that person wants to have, you know, can maintain that therapeutic space and her just giving consent, like informed consent to be like, you can do it, but I'm going to be myself there and you're going to see me being myself. Yeah. I love that. that. And it was like, it's so just like honest and simple. And again, this is yeah. like her, like literally being at her, you know, her, her faith. This community. is like a normal ask it's such a normal to do, but thing. for a therapist, oh, this yeah. is highly unusual. How often be... do we like censor ourselves because we yeah. notice somebody is in the space who we worked with like five years ago, Absolutely. right? And we're like, oh, therapist, therapist face on, you know, this yeah. person who I saw for one client, you know, one session three years ago, <laughs> sitting <laughs> over there, like how what we make ourselves they... good and small. Exactly. To the extreme, I think, and to our own detriment. Yeah, it can really make our lives super tiny. And as you're telling those stories, it's making me think about like a few of the key things that happened at different stages in my career that kind of like began to break that. Mm -hmm. Because obviously I didn't just like wake up one day and I'm like, I'm the bad therapist. You know, it's like, it's Ben. You just rose from the ashes (laughs) spontaneously. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like doing a photo shoot soon. I'm like, that could be a fun. That's a good image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not totally accurate. But yeah, it's funny because as much as I was like bought into this good therapist conditioning, there were cracks. I mean, I just part of my story is I decided to be a therapist at the age of 13. I shit you not. I remember the exact conversation I was having with my friend Rosemary outside of our like seventh grade science class bungalow when she was like complaining about her friend, Christina, and I was like Mm. trying to be kind of neutral and curious. And I was like, oh, wow, people do this for a job. I'm good at this. I want to do this. So I decided then I was a church girl. I taught Sunday school. Like I was in no sex before marriage, Mm -hmm. like totally embedded in good girl conditioning. So that was super, super strong. And some of the things like were breaking this good therapist conditioning. So when I worked at that methadone clinic, it was in my hometown of Bakersfield. And the clinic was downtown and my house was downtown and a bunch of my friends were patients there. And so like, obviously those people not get assigned to me yeah. to be their counselor, sure. but like my friends would be in the lobby and my sister's friends would be in the lobby. And like, I would see people there during the day, like go out to get one of my clients, see one of my buddies in line to do and be like, Hey, what's up? And like, see you later, you know, right. see you tonight. And yes. like, I would run into my clients all around. I would have people walk up to me and just start talking Mm. to me. So like that separation, because I was, Bakersfield is not necessarily a small community. There's actually a lot of people there, but like that community at the time being downtown and with the people I hung out with was small enough that like there, there wasn't really a way to be totally separate. So that in some ways was like really a gift because a lot of the fear that I do see therapists having around yeah. that, like the hyper good therapist conditioning is something that in some ways like wasn't even an option for me. So I feel like that that really helped me out. 
Yeah. I think it would have yeah. been really different if it weren't for something like that. Yeah. Cause that's such just an honest situation too. I think like when we do have a little bit more distance and space, like we can tell ourselves that there's something different between us and the folks that we're serving. Right. But when it's like literally your friends. <laughs> Exactly. In the lobby <laughs> who could be your clients, but they're not because obviously yeah, because like my like, friends come in to be a patient. I have yes. to go tell my manager because I was the youngest person working there. So mm-hmm. like if a young person came to the clinic, right. they got assigned to me. Yes. But because I would always have to go say, oh, that person's my friend. And they'd be like, okay, we'll assign them to somebody else. So yes. like I literally <laughs> was like very known. So much to dig into, but I I want to, <laughs> I would love to get your, your thoughts and experiences of how folks can start to shift this, like with the work that you've done with therapists uh, around this conditioning, what makes the biggest difference in allowing folks to start to shift their relationship with money, given all the stuff that we've just talked about? Oh my God. Well, it's one thing I want to say is like, for me, at least this has been a long journey and I don't think it's ever going to stop. Mm -hmm. I think there will always be things I am learning, things that I, you know, corners I turn and I see something I'm afraid of that I have the choice to either move towards or move away from like Mm -hmm. that I don't anticipate is ever going to stop. So for folks who are feeling nervous or scared or stuck or just really confused about where to start or just like overwhelmed, I just want to say like, this is a long process. It's not going to happen all at once. It's Mm going to be super unique to you. And one thing that was really important for me, and it's been important for my clients, something I kind of mentioned earlier is giving ourselves permission to be students and to learn. Yeah. Part of my fear around learning about money was that I would become my worst fears, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I would become totally detached, selfish, whatever. Mm. And part of what I've had to do in order to make the changes I've had to make is to experiment and to learn and to potentially be shadow versions of myself, Mm -hmm. you know, to actually start to integrate that. Like, is it being selfish or is it having boundaries? Right. Yes. Right. Is it being selfish or is it being honest about what I want and need yeah. or desire? So sometimes I am certainly doing things now that five years ago, I you know, or when I was really steeped in good therapist conditioning, mm. I said, absolutely not. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say like giving yourself permission to learn and experiment and get things wrong. You know, I'm sure there will be things that five years from now, I'll look back on this moment and say, you know what? If I had to do that over again, I would do it differently and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it differently today. Mm-hmm. This is a this is 100% a learning process. Yeah. You do not have to be perfect. You are allowed to get things wrong and I think as therapists that's another thing we're really afraid of to get things wrong. I can't tell you how freaked out people get and you know this. We get super freaked out about our reputations. If I do mm-hmm. something wrong, mm-hmm. clients going to go talk about it. I'm going to be banned from being a therapist, you know, so afraid of getting it wrong. But I would say like, you are allowed to get it wrong. Are some people going to be pissed? Sure. That's fine. You can't avoid that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you, you're allowed to change your mind. So yeah, in a nutshell, basically get started, find ways to educate yourself, find people who are talking about money and listen to them. Even if you don't agree with them 100%, even if you don't fully even understand what they're saying, Mm -hmm. start to learn. And then you get to pick and choose the things that make sense to you, work for you, align with Mm -hmm. your values, but go see what's out there so you can make the most informed decision about what's best for you. Because there Mm -hmm. is no cookie cutter right way to do this. Mm -mm. You'd be well served by just seeing what is out there. Educate yourselves. 
So that was probably like five (laughs) ultimately. (laughs) So educate yourselves, be willing to learn, be willing to make mistakes and just be, be down for the whole ride. Yes. And I, I love that, you know, like making mistakes or experimenting, like however we want to frame it, because I think that is one of the things that can be counter to your nature when you've been conditioned to be good right? Is that thinking that there is a right way to do it and therefore there's a wrong way to do it and you might do the wrong way and like, you know, cue catastrophic thinking. (laughs) But, you know, toe dipping and experimenting and seeing what feels good. And like, you know, something that I've said to my students sometimes too, is I think we can have such black and white thinking, you know, and we can have a whole other podcast about like, I think class and messaging and who benefits from the messages that folks at different class levels get. But this idea that like poor is good yeah. Therefore, rich is bad. Right. The meek um, shall inherit the earth. Yes. And something that I sometimes say to students is like, you're not going to accidentally become Jeff Bezos. Like that's not that's a risk it. that you Listen, have. Listen, if you're not a sociopath, it's not going to just happen. Like folks who are ultra wealthy, you know, who I think sometimes are the people that like we hold up of like, but they're hoarding wealth and they could be doing all these things. And, and I think all that is true. I'm, I'm there. There's a line for me where I'm like, share that a little now. It's not making your life better. And those folks didn't get there by accident (laughs) and you're not going to accidentally get there as Felicia and I have worked on our own money stories and found ways to earn more money and take up more space in the world. Neither of us has accidentally become a billionaire. (laughs) Is that fair to say? I don't Uh, know your your numbers, but I would guess. I'm not a billionaire. (laughs) Yes. Right. So like you get to, you get to play and experiment. And if you do something and you're like, actually that felt kind of bad. Yeah. You know, like maybe, you know, you, you make a change. stop giving to a certain group and you're like, no, actually, I, that felt better when I was. Just start yep. doing it again, right? Like we get to live and be imperfect and and figure things out. Yeah. And I, you know, to your point about accidentally becoming a billionaire or accidentally becoming like a monster, yes. like, oh, oops, <laughs> turns out <laughs> when I make 200K instead of 100K, I turn into a monster. That's the threshold yeah. where monster happens. It's like... <laughs> That's not how it works. You know what I mean? Like, oh, if I work three days a week instead of four, that Mm -hmm. triggers monster mode. Like that is, it's not straight. Yeah. Black and white is that. It's not, there's so many variables to who we are as people. It's not as if making a certain amount of money or charging a certain fee or having a certain number of days that you work or a certain number of clients you see, your people you work with and people you don't automatically means you're a monster. And if you're ever worried about like, oh no, will I become one? Lindsay and I hold spaces for therapists to do this work in community with expert support Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it is scary as shit. And we know that because we've both been through it slash are both still on the path, right? Yes. Yes. You know, so we get it. It's like, I know I've had a lot of support. I've had a lot of mentors over the years and spaces that I've been a part of where that have helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've gone through this. So the other bit of advice would be like, don't do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cause I think too, like that being worth in co-regulation, having somebody to be like, Oh no, you didn't turn into a bad person. You're still <laughs> yourself. Reality You're still lovely up. and thoughtful and creative and you know, whatever it is, the mix that makes you, you, yeah, that reality check, because there are parts mm-hmm. of us uh, that are very invested in staying small, staying good, whatever your certain brand of that is. And so Having those external supports and guidance, very valuable, very valuable. Well, Felicia, thank you so much for coming on today. If folks want to get further into your world, uh, where can they find you and follow you? 
Yeah. So I'm on the internet as uh, at the bad therapist with underscores between each word. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I'm at the most. You can also check out my website, which is thebadtherapist.coach. And right now um, I'm enrolling for my program, Liberated mm-hmm. Business, which yes. is a, I mean, it's extensive. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to know how to do in order to start or grow your private practice. And this year I've added a second learning track called the Scale Track, which is intended for therapists who are already have their feet underneath them, but are actually looking to scale either into mm. group practices or online courses, coaching offers and things like that. So I'm super excited about it. And um, yeah, that's that's the best way to work with me right now. If folks want to get involved. Awesome. So that was Liberated Business. So find Felicia at The Bad Therapist yeah. and see if the window is open for Liberated Business. You can check it out and, uh, yeah. and get in touch with her. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely talking with you today. Thank you, Lindsay. That conditioning that we get around being good, as Felicia mentioned, it's just so pervasive. If you experience this growing up, whether it's through the parenting that you received or whether you know, you experienced abuse. I think being good is often a response to being abused as a way to s- survive um, and get by, or whether it's around growing up without a lot of money and being told that that is good. Like, I mean, there's so many ways that I think that we receive this conditioning, but, you know, when we've had that, it takes a long time to untangle <laughs> and catch it as it comes up in these new different ways in the guise of perfectionism or what is proper and professional or what is moral and good. Like I think it just permeates so many aspects of our lives as Felicia was talking about. And I love that idea of just inviting experimentation and curiosity. You know, it's very much, you know, the kind of approach that I find can be really helpful when we're trying to unravel ourselves from these like tight black and white relationships that we have with money and business is to experiment, try dip your toe in, see how something feels. You're allowed to change your mind. I love that loosening that Felicia is suggesting uh, that allow us to start to shift those relationships. So, so, so appreciative of Felicia coming onto the podcast today. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can also find me on Instagram at money nuts and bolts. Uh, We share free emotional and practical money content on there all the time. And I am also trying to do reels. (laughs) We'll see um, at the point when this podcast comes out, if I'm still doing reels, but if I am being uh, resilient and focused as I plan to be, I'm also uh, doing some fun little videos, um, trying to make money accessible and palatable for all of you. And uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, I would also appreciate if you can give me a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, That is the best way for folks to find us. Thanks for listening today.